You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We are recording on Thursday, the 16th of February. And on this week's episode, we're going to talk about why the head of the migration agency is getting the boot and reactions to that. We'll discuss whether there's any truth to allegations of gang involvement in a vote to oust a local Social Democrat Party leader in a Stockholm area council. We will explain why a city in the north and an elderly care home in the south are extolling the joy of sex. And finally, we will get expert analysis on the state of the Swedish economy following an EU forecast that puts Sweden at the bottom of the class. I'm Paul Mahoney and I'm joined today in Stockholm by James Savage and the economist Peter Gerlach, who we'll introduce properly in a second. And in Malmo, we have Richard Orange and in Simrishamn, Emma Lovegreen. Welcome to the podcast, Peter, and we'll be talking to you later about the looming recession. But first, can you please tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Peter Gerlach. I'm an economist with the LO, which is the Swedish Trade Union Confederation. I've been working with LO for four years, and before that, I was the chief of staff to the Minister of Finance, Magdalena Andersson, in 2014 to 2018. Originally from Karlstad, Värmland, Sweden. Lovely place. Yes. Very good. Thanks very much for that, Peter. And how are the rest of you? All good, thanks. All good. Still plodding through February. I have a cold and I think Richard has one as well. You're not sitting together, are you? No, Spreading your germs between each other. Richard's not admitting it, though. He's in denial. Well, Becky's not come in in order not to give me the cold. Her cold. So everyone has a cold. <laughs> Rich is like, I don't think I have a cold. <laughs> okay, before we get into the news, let's talk about a couple of things coming up during the week. First of all, we've got Shrove Tuesday. And James, you managed to beat the rush on this, didn't you? Can you tell us how you did it? Yeah, well, I thought it was this Tuesday. So I bought Semla for the whole office and it was great. We had lots of Semla and now we get to have them next week as well. So I'm all in favour of getting this. I mean, this moves every year. It's very complicated. Anyway. We have Sam Lott on Valentine's Day. Yum, yum. It was great. Thanks very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Let's do it all again on Tuesday. And it's also a good week for uh, book-loving bargain hunters. Uh, Richard, what can you tell us about Bukrian? Well, it means literally book sale. So a ria is short for realization. How do you say it in Swedish? Realization? I don't know. Realization, which means it's, it's, it's converting <laughs> a service or thing into money. No one says realization. They but, don't. Uh, yeah, it's short. You say ria. Okay. Ria. <laughs> yeah. But basically it starts on the 21st of February. And what it means is that books across Swedish bookshops, supermarkets, online retailers, massively reduced prices. So I 
was just having a quick look and you know Le Pavari which is the new book by Shestin Eichmann which is really mm. good I recommend it is going for 75 kroner on Academy Book Handel and it's normally 279 for a nice hardback copy Ooh. so so it's, it's like it's like we're talking you know a third a quarter of the price and yeah and it goes goes on for about a week and, and you can um, pick up cheap books and it happens every year at the end of February do you know what you get at the end of the sale Richard I don't know tell me you get the slut sale. Oh, <laughs> the slutria. The slut end of sale. <laughs> You're getting ahead of yourself, Emma. We're going to talk about sex later. <laughs> that is when I first came to Sweden. You see that all over the the shop windows. You're like, what? <laughs> I love the slut station. That's my favourite. Um, <laughs> the last station in the line, <laughs> slutstahun. Uh, right, on to the news. And this week we learned that the head of the migration agency, Mikhail Ribbenvik, is soon to be out of a job. He has spent seven years in the role and made it clear that he wanted to continue. But the migration minister has decided it's time for fresh blood. Why has Maria Malmersteinergaard said that she wants to find a replacement for Ribbenvik, Emma? Well, the official version is that, as uh, the migration minister said, is that uh, Swedish migration policies are going through lots of changes at the moment. The government has spoken before, and we've spoken about it on the podcast, about wanting a paradigm shift. But since his contract expires anyway in May, it makes sense to then just get some fresh blood in and a quote-unquote new pair of eyes. Ribbenvik, on the one hand, he's seen as quite a competent lawyer who has worked for the migration agency for like a quarter of a century almost. And he's been head of the agency for the past seven years. On the other hand, it's not exactly a secret that the agency has been struggling with organizational issues. It's been repeatedly criticized for long waiting times. And there have also been a series of other issues that have come up over the years, like the identities of family members applying for residency not being properly checked, or just various admin problems within the agency. What do you make of comments from the um, Sweden Democrat and former Deputy Speaker Björn Söder to the effect that Swedish government agencies need a clean-up, sort of like draining the swamp, it's almost that kind of language, to get rid of people <laughs> like Ribbenvik, whom he characterised as a pro-asylum activist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, the last part, I don't know what he's based that on. I mean, the man's overseen the migration agency during a period of increasingly restrictive migration policies. But if we look at it kind of in a broader sense, so the government is allowed to appoint and let go of the directors of government agencies in Sweden, but otherwise there's a very strong separation of powers almost between politicians and government agencies. They're supposed to get to operate more or less independently. And Björn Söder's comments are pretty much in line with kind of what we've been seeing from many Sweden Democrat politicians in the past years, that they seem to want to have a kind of a bigger say in how Swedish authorities operate and the decisions they make and so on. And do we know who's in line for the migration agency job? Uh, I've no idea, actually. Does anyone else know? Ain't no idea whatsoever. No. No Björn Söder. <laughs> <laughs> Just to move on to another story now. And Bochica is a municipality in the greater Stockholm area. And it's been back in the news recently after the local Social Democrat mayor, Ebba Aslin, unexpectedly lost a leadership vote. And on the surface of it, this shouldn't be a big deal. But James, can you tell us why it became national news? 
Well, so this story is either a story of an alarming infiltration by criminal gangs into Swedish democracy or a petty squabble between local politicians that no one really needs to bother about. <laughs> and so there are two versions of this story. Now, Bolchurka is an area of Stockholm that contains, as well as some sort of leafy middle-class villa areas, it also contains some of these vulnerable areas, problem areas with gang crime and, and you know, some of the things we've been talking about recently. And here, it's been, the, the council is led by the Social Democrats, the largest party there, um, in coalition with a few other parties. And in late January, the council leader, Ebers Lin, is a Social Democrat. She was kicked out as local leader of the party by a vote in her local party group. Now, the background to this is the party, uh, the council had closed a number of community centres linked to ABF, which is a kind of foundation linked to the Social Democrats, after the local ABF was supposedly infiltrated by criminal gangs. Now, supporters of Ebba Aslin then alleged that she was kicked out by due to infiltration of gangs into the local social democratic organisation. So that they had joined, uh, there'd been a lot of new members coming into the local organisation and they had joined together and tried to kick her out. And there was there's allegations that these people, at least some of them, were gang members and that was the reason that she was, that she was being kicked out. But opponents of Ebersleen, some of whom are demonstrably not gang members, said no, this was all about poor leadership. So far, only one person has been positively identified as having a connection to criminality and voting against Ebersleen. And this is a 28-year-old man with convictions for drugs and resisting arrest. Although there are some media reports that, that there are a few others that have been potentially identified, but we haven't got any evidence of that that's been public or that I've been able to see. So now the Social Democrats at the national level, they've launched an investigation and it has turned out in media reports that um, the party's leadership was informed by in November by Ebba Aslin that she had concerns about gang infiltration. So there are lots of elements to this. But significantly, party secretary, Social Democrat Party Secretary Tobias Baudin, has said that as far as he's concerned, this is all about Ebba Aslin's poor leadership. But this story is continuing. We will see what happens. This week on Monday, Ebba Aslin says she was quitting as council leader, but indicated she would accept the role again if she was voted back in by her colleagues in the Social Democrats in March. So there will be more chapters to this and it still doesn't seem like we've got to the bottom of uh, exactly whether there was significant gang involvement in all of this. Okay, yeah, so we'll keep following the story, keep but it is, all, story. it is all very complicated and, and unclear, but it's, been, it, it's been making national headlines, so we thought we should try to <laughs> try to explain it a little bit, but really nobody can explain it yet. But really nobody can explain it because nobody really knows what's gone on. Do you know what's gone on, Peter? I don't. <laughs> I... But I have met Ebba Oslin uh, several times and I've also met a lot of uh, people that voted her out a lot of times and, and it's perfectly serious uh, people. Uh, so I think that, yeah, as far as, I, as far as I understand, there is a basis, a foundation of a normal party squabble locally, but uh, then if there's additional elements to this is really what's, uh, what's the question. Exactly that. Mm. Okay. Well, maybe we'll find out at some point. Maybe we won't. But obviously, if you know, I, th I think the thing here is if gangs have started to use the political structures yeah. to increase their powers in areas like Bolshevka, then it's incredibly worrying. So it is incredibly important when there are allegations like this to figure out what's so going taken on seriously, and yeah. to take it seriously. Yeah, and I think that civil society in general is is really pretty fragile when it comes to these parts when people are not organized and people are not involved in. It might be their, you know, bostadsrättsförening or their mm. uh, local sports club or organizations handling 
larger resources or small local party clubs, for instance? It's very easy to join a local political party. It doesn't cost much money. They want new members. And, you know, if a gang did want to infiltrate local politics, it would be fairly easy to do. Yeah. So important to be on the guard, I think. And important to organize if you're not a gang member. Absolutely. Join, join yes. a political party. <laughs> and you can do that even if you're not a Swedish citizen. And even if you're not a gang member. And, and certainly if you're not a gang member. <laughs> Okay, let's let's go up to uh, Soleftio now. So like many other places in northern Sweden, it is concerned about depopulation and declining birth rates. It's located around 500 kilometers north of Stockholm and the town has seen its birth rates plummet from a steady average of around 200 a year to just 123 last year and that set alarm bells ringing. So to coincide with Valentine's Day, they hatched a plan to get people making babies. And the scheme is called Elska Mer Vibahavrbli Fleer, which basically means get cracking, folks. We need to push the numbers up. What kind of activities are involved, Richard? Oh, well, God. Do you mean the activities put on by the commune or the activities that they're trying to promote? Because I don't want to go into I think I'll leave that to your imagination. Um, oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, please do. But, but, but actually, I spoke to Majed Safi, who's the strategist at the commune, whose idea this is. And I have to admit, when I pushed him on what they were actually doing, it was a little bit disappointing because <laughs> they had this scheme called Tormed Norgon du Tuka Om, which means just like bring someone you like. And that that scheme, that and that happened on Valentine's Day. And that was basically cheap entry to their ski area and their swimming pool, <laughs> which isn't wow. very sexy at all. <laughs> Mind you, I mean, I mean, those instructions, given the context of this, could be grossly misinterpreted i'd like to know how what i'd like to know what it was like at the swimming pool on valentine's day <laughs> the sauna oh the sauna my oh, god sauna, sure. yeah. oh, steamy my god. and then on wednesday there was a lecture by a local author and sexologist called sarah olsen who talked about her experiences of dating romance and having um children and and that was basically it but I spoke to him and he said that when he'd come up with the idea, all of the people in the commune were like worried that they were going to get laughed at and that it was going to be, it was a bit too silly. And oh, then, we wouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and they <laughs> thought they would become the laughing stock of communal sveria. And then, um, but then they decided that, that was actually a good thing because it would draw attention to the fact that it is actually a real, really serious problem that they have this declining birth rate and they need to push the numbers up. Isn't Celestio the place where they closed the maternity ward, making people travel miles and miles and miles and miles to give birth? Yes, that is a very. I think good it point. may well have been. So if you Sounds want like to a get, very good reason, if you want to get the birth rate up, maybe don't make it near impossible for people to actually give birth. Just a radical thought. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, okay, so let's head um, 1,000 kilometres down the road now to Broby, uh, where a care home is encouraging residents to indulge in some earthly joys. But it's fair to say that childbirth there is not the desired outcome. What's the idea behind offering so-called pleasure baskets to residents of the nursing home, Emma? Uh, so this is also one of those stories that's actually is a lot more boring than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to apologise in advance for my answer. I, I, it's, it's all quite embarrassing. Maybe we should just skip over it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> no, Catholic, go on. Catholic school education. Yeah, I can, I can, I'm not sure I can do this, but go on, Emma. I'll close my ears a little bit. Okay. I'll give you the, the quick background first. So there's a care home for elderly people in Broby, as you mentioned, that has this 
pleasure basket, quote unquote, which is filled with um, lubricants, dildos, penis pumps, and so on. And it's been written about in the Swedish media before. And uh, last week it was picked up in English by the AFP news agency. And we ran that story on the local too. And obviously it went um, viral. Okay, so first of all, this, this pleasure basket just to be clear. So it's meant to show examples of things that staff at the care home can order on behalf of residents. So it's not a basket for communal use. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. And I mean, it's, of course, it's easy to laugh about it, but it's actually just one part of the care home's kind of overall strategy to just make it easier for its residents to have conversations about sex and intimacy with the staff. So this so this was a problem that they identified, was it? This was a problem that they identified that the staff also the staff didn't really know how to talk about it. Like they used to not not really know how to address it when they saw a resident masturbating in public or when a couple at the home asked to get help to book a hotel room because they didn't want care home staff to walk in on them while they were having sex, understandably. Fair enough, yeah. So it's basically just meant to help kind of remove that taboo around sex so that elderly people don't have to stop, you know, caring about their sexual needs just because they move into a care home. So that's it. Blimey. Okay. Thanks for giving us the story, Emma. And uh, we'll link in the notes to the article we have about this on the site. Does anybody have anything else to say about this story? I just have a question. Are we done with Snusk for today? I think we're done. (laughs) It was also something about just not uh, walking in on people without knocking and so on. Uh, Just policies for the staff at the care home. That is, I mean, privacy in general, that is undervalued from the staff side concerning the residents. Yeah, Yeah. very much. I think it's one of the things that you sort of, when you've had elderly relatives who've been in these care homes, this this idea that you stop being an individual with um, an adult with, Mm. with, with needs, you become... The fear I think that we all have is, you know, it's just becoming a, a number or just a, you know, a, just a, like, and you're just feeling like a burden on society and, and just being treated like a second class citizen. Exactly. So it's super important to have, you know, that respect for people. So, yeah. yeah. And like having a drink and so on is also something that has been a similar discussion, I think, in, in when, you know, are you supposed to, you know, deliver a bottle of, of, of whiskey to someone that is, uh, you know, 19 years old and pretty lost maybe uh, but maybe still deserves a drink on friday night yeah and that is you know important yeah yeah my um great aunt when she used to be in a care home many many years ago one of the staff members there actually got fired because she let her have like a glass of wine at dinner really wow that's outrageous but i think that is something that is changing I hope so. Yeah. If I have to go teetotal, I'm not going to knock people so ever. I will rather be on the streets, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on from that story now. And if you like the podcast, we'd be delighted if you could help us get the word out by leaving a review or a rating or sharing it with uh, people you think would also enjoy it. Uh, okay, it's time now for the latest in our series of interviews with ambassadors. And this week, it is the turn of the German ambassador, or one of them at least, as Joachim Bertele, who we'll hear from shortly, actually shares the job on a rotating basis with his wife, Christina Beinhoff. Uh, let's find out a little bit more now about the centuries-old relationship between Sweden and its biggest trading partner. And I started by asking how many Germans there are in Sweden. 
People with only German nationality, about 30,000, but there might be a much bigger number with uh, dual uh, nationality. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we will have uh, even many more who have German roots, because uh, in medieval times half of the Swedish population was German. And if yeah. you look at how that developed, then uh, the roots and, and the, the relations between Germany and, and Sweden are very, very tight. And do you know anything about the geographical spread of the German population in Sweden? Uh, I would guess that um, you will find in this triangle between Malmö, Göteborgia, uh, uh, and, and Stockholm most uh, of the Germans, many as well in Stockholm. And then we have a lot of um, tourists coming here, even having Stuga here. Uh, I've heard that we have about 40,000 uh, Stuga um, from foreigners in, in, in Sweden, and about 30% are owned by, by Germans, yep. and they would be more in the south. But of course you will find as well uh, people in the north, uh, from uh, Kiruna to, to Stockholm. Uh, everywhere uh, there might be as well Germans around hiking and, and greeting you. So it's quite, a, it's quite a big population. It might be hard to say, to generalize about the kind of professions and you know, what kind of things um, Germans are doing in Sweden. But would you like to try? Would you like to generalize? Um, I would say that uh, in the, the 1950s there was a, f a first wave there, there were nurses coming as well after, after the war and there was an interest here. Uh, lately probably we have more medical doctors, uh, people from academia, people working here in business. We had about a thousand people um, coming to, uh, to Sweden in 2021 alone or 1,000, 2,500. Um, that was as well partly due to Corona and people looking for uh, a different practice here. Uh, so you have uh, a mixture, but I would say that lately, as I said, medical doctors, people from academia, business uh, are uh, the most who are, who are coming. Great. And can you tell us a little bit about um, bilateral relations between Germany and Sweden? As I said, uh, uh, that we have long-standing roots here uh, in Sweden. Uh, in medieval times, 50% uh, of the population were German. So our institutions here, like the German church, is 450 years old. Mm -hmm. The German school is more than 400 years old. So, so a long-standing tradition. And today we are still uh, the biggest uh, trading partner with more than 40 billion of exchange, uh, after all. And I would say that the reputation of Sweden uh, in Germany is, is excellent. What do, what do Germans think of when they, when they think of Sweden? Why, why is the reputation so strong? I think it's a mixture. The first thing is probably that they love the nature and the landscape uh, and a city like Stockholm is, is one of the nicest cities in the world, I would yeah. say. Between Mellerin and, and uh, the Baltic Sea, that, that's something extraordinary. And if they look a bit more on the political side, then it would be, or economic side, it would be innovation. Uh, it would be a kind of quite gender equal society, a rational modern society. So a very good mixture between uh, very good to live in and uh, a kind of society that is attractive. Great. And okay, so let's go back to the trade relations then. It's, it's a huge trade relationship, 40 billion euros annually, you said. What do Germany and Sweden trade in? Uh, I think we are, we are very widespread in that regard. You look at, at the, the big uh, Swedish enterprises uh, uh, from H&M uh, to IKEA to uh, everything that you have from AstraZeneca and, and so on. Um, so, and uh, if you look at, at uh, Germany, uh, very uh, strong uh, in automobile and 
industry which, which is um, a part of that. So uh, these kind of automobile, electronics, mechanics, uh, chemistry as well, life science uh, and uh, for, for Sweden very important paper and pulp. What is now very important for our uh, trade relationship is the part of innovation and, and green industry. If you look at, um, at enterprises like Northvolt or H2 Greensteel or, or even hybrid cement, uh, Heidelberg Cement Cementa, um, then in all those issues where we try to get green, uh, there is a, a very close um, uh, Swedish-German cooperation and in mining that is a part of, of getting towards um, uh, green steel and there is as well uh, a close cooperation. And just turning to your own impressions of Sweden, was there anything that surprised you when you moved here? In the end, uh, quite a lot of things surprised because Sweden was even more beautiful than I expected. Uh, if I look now uh, uh, at, at Stockholm, when, when the sun is coming out in, in winter, then it's a, it's a wonderful area, in, in summer even nicer. Then it's a, a kind of interesting society between modernity, rationality and, and traditions. So you, have, you find a lot of politeness, people are open, people are respectful and uh, at the same time innovation plays a big role, that's, that's very interesting. I found the topography of, of Stockholm interesting, that um, some of the, the mountains in Stockholm are a bit hidden between the, the houses, so you, you have to find your way and understand how that all fits together. And of course you, you learn a bit uh, about the history, uh, ge uh, geologic history of, of Sweden as well in that regard. And then I have to say uh, it was as well surprising to learn about the, the gang criminality and the, the difficulties in, involved uh, with this issue. So there, there was lots of positive things that were even positiver than I expected, but then of course, like in any society, you find as well uh, difficult issues uh, that you have to tackle with. And what would you say is the best thing about living in Sweden? First, it's, it's um, a wonderful country and for us professionally it's um, as well a country with lots of access. So if we talk to our colleagues uh, in, on the, in the Swedish side, whether it's business or um, in diplomacy, then we always find open doors and, and people who want to help us. And that makes our professional life uh, very, very easy. That was the German ambassador to Sweden, Joachim Bertela. And if you're interested in learning more about Swedish-German relations, we'll have a longer write-up of the interview on the site in the coming days. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now on to the economy now, and we had an article on the site during the week that we'll link to in the notes 
in which some readers told us how much they've been struggling in these inflationary times with rising interest repayments and mortgage costs. And given that the EU Commission this week said Sweden was set to be the worst performing economy in the entire union in 2023, we decided that this was a topic we wanted to devote more time to this week. And we've got Peter here to help us make sense of it. But first, can you just tell us a little bit about the history of the Swedish Trade Union Confederation and its role in Swedish society? Yeah, where to start? Well, the Trade Union Confederation consists of of several separate unions. There are actually several trade union confederations in Sweden. There is the LO, uh, which is the Workers' Trade Union Confederation. Then is the TSO, which is the Trade Union Confederation for white 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 collar workers. Uh, and then there's the, the academics, uh, professions, the doctors, etc. That is the SACO, the Swedish uh, Academics Central Organization. But the LO is the, the oldest one and, and was formed in the 1800s and has the role of it in, the, in, in, in Swedish society has evolved over time, of course. Since basically uh, during times uh, we've had central wage negotiations on the central level between the employers organization and the LO directly. Over the last basically 30 years almost now we we have uh, separate negotiations where each union or um, negotiate wages with their uh, counterpart uh, separately. But there is a coordination on the LO side you can say that the unions forming the LO together um, put out um, for instance you know what are we aiming for in these rounds and negotiations you know and if everyone agrees on that supportive measures uh, can be taken uh, to help other unions reach these goals for instance if there is a strike other unions could help out by blockading and uh, you know stop delivering uh, stuff to the companies under uh, under strike and and similar things for instance. So ELO is sort of a central player in what people know as the Swedish model. Yeah, definitely. And then in recent years, we've had more of central agreements between the parties, between the ELO and the employers as well. For instance, here recently we've negotiated around uh, job security and the right of of training and education uh, uh, on the job, kind of. So that is probably the most recent thing. And you've got a sort of, and, and Elo has a sort of relationship with the Social Democrat Party. Yeah. How can you, how, how would you explain that? Yeah, the trade unions formed the Social Democrats back in the 1800s. So the trade unions came first and then the Social Democrats was formed by them. And then uh, actually the, the, the Social Democrats formed the trade union confederation, the Elo. So Social Democrats started the Elo as a, a organizing body for the trade unions. Historically, it's like uh, two sides of the same coin. It's uh, the trade union arm of the, 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 the work movement and the political arm of the the workers movement kind of could you just give some some examples of uh unions some i think there are 14 unions yep. under the lo umbrella if you give some examples of some of those yeah the two biggest ones is the the care workers the communal uh working in in in, in the public sector or in the communal sector then there's uh, that's about 500,000 members i think and then it's EF Metal, which is the, the metal workers unions, the industry workers organizing labor on Volvo or Scania or such places. And then there's the builders. We have the, the painters, the electricians, the transport workers, all the truck drivers, etc. You put me on the spot here. Where, <laughs> I think that I gives us a good idea. <laughs> 
I want all of them now. <laughs> no, no but the, the, the oh, handels, handelsanställdas förbund. Retail the, workers. The retail workers, thank you. Those are also one of the, the biggest uh, biggest organizations within the union. And Stefan Levin, the former prime minister, he came from EF Metall. Right? He so came he from EF Metall. He was the, uh, the chairman there. Yeah, and he came from Heglund's uh, welding on, uh, I don't know, what they produced at the moment. But, uh, Weapons. A lot of weapons, yeah, a lot of, uh, not tanks, but something similar. Um, armored vehicles and stuff. I read I read this morning that they're doing great business at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I imagine. Yeah. So if we go back to yeah this, um, this story this week about the EU Commission's forecast for 2023, do you agree with their assessment that Sweden is entering a period of negative growth or slight recession? Yeah. The LO economists, we are a team of eight economists. We, we make our own uh, forecasts for the Swedish economy. And uh, we basically have the same assessment. Of course, we don't look at other countries. <laughs> we, we, we just forecast the Swedish economy. So, so I can't really say why other countries are performing as good as they are comparatively. But we, we share the assessment that uh, it's uh, looking pretty bad for 2023 and Sweden. Okay, and why is Sweden doing so badly in your view? We point to three devo- developments really that drive this. It's firstly, we, we see a, a very steep drop in housing construction. The current forecast is that this year start construction on around 30,000 homes. And if you just go back two years, for instance, to 2021, we had uh, more than 70,000 homes started. Steep drop. So that yeah. is more than more than half of uh, a loss of more than half of, of the production level. Besides that, it's the households that are really pretty squeezed. We see uh, household consumption has dropped seven months in a row. Basically, it's increasing prices combined with you know pretty modest increases in wages, and and so the the purchasing power is 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 being lost. So people are buying less and less uh, stuff, even though they pay more and more for the stuff. And that is partially it's electricity, of course. It's a big thing. Uh, food and groceries are also, uh, you know, have seen price increases of like 20%. And then uh, now interest rates are, are, are also squeezing the households more and more. And that is the result of the third point we're, we're pointing to, that is the, the economic policy conducted currently is not in this environment, is not uh, really... Uh, supporting the economy. It's rather increasing these tendencies that we... Mm. In what way? How is it, how is it increasing yeah. the tendencies? If you look at first the monetary policy, we have a very sharp increase in, in interest rates. And that is not unique to Sweden, but, but we have increased them maybe more than, than the rest of the EU, or at least more than the ECB. And it's also the case that Swedish households are more interest rate sensitive than European households in general. If, if you compare Germany, for instance, we are basically, the Swedish households have basically twice as much debt as, as German households. Uh, so an interest rate increase of, of one or two percent, of course, hits twice as hard, basically, for the households in Sweden as in Germany, as well as the, the loans, the debt the households hold in Sweden is pretty uh, it's pretty flexible interest rates. So we say that about 80% have a fixed term of less than one year. Mm, yeah. So basically, you know, 
over a year, 80% of the interest rates hit the households. If you compare it to a country like US, for instance, where where like nobody has a, a such a short-term uh, uh, agreement on on their loans, they have rather maybe 30 years of fixed interest rates. Uh, if you borrow to a house, for instance, on, on yeah, domestic mortgages, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you have these thirty-year mortgages, which is, does not exist in the Swedish economy. So, so this makes the Swedish economy much more interest rate sensitive. Uh, and if we move away from monetary policy, if we look at the fiscal policy, the the current government is very worried to add to inflationary pressures, and uh, uh, therefore. We see that the amount of relief provided to the households in this environment is less in Sweden than most other European countries, for instance. Not only electricity bills, but also other kind of supportive measures when, when costs are rising. You also, for instance, see that the, the current government removed the investment subsidy for housing construction, for rental apartment construction. And that had been their policy for a long time, but now the timing of this is, you know, very <laughs> very not great because mm. at the moment you see the the construction level is is plummeting due to interest rates increasing due to uh, some instability in the in the bond market etc and to add to that by also uh, removing these subsidies at the moment which is also killing a lot of construction projects uh, is really is really problematic you mentioned inflation there, and the Riksbank increased its key interest rate to 3% last week, which is the highest level in 15 years. Do you think the central bank is correct in its assessment that interest rates will help combat Sweden's high rate of inflation? No. Uh, no we've been really critical of this, because as we see it, the current inflation in Sweden is not the result of a very high pressure in the economy. It's more the result of, of high energy costs, which is a result of Putin's war in Ukraine and the fact that the European electricity prices increases and, and, and a European demand for Swedish electricity increases and therefore our prices go up. You can't fight that with interest rates. The other part is also that the Swedish krona has, has decreased in value, which pushes up import prices a lot and that increases inflation in Sweden when, when all imported goods uh, increase in prices. So the Riksbank is hoping that their interest rate hike can push the krona up because basically when you increase the interest rate of a country, capital flows to that country because they have a better return, higher interest rate there uh, compared to other countries. The problem is that if you damage the economy too much when you increase your interest rate, who wants to buy Swedish kronos yeah. when uh, you have a crashing economy? So uh, it's not really clear that that will work. And the thing is that several countries have the same problem. with uh, that They try to push down import prices by increasing interest rates and driving the value of their currency upwards but you can't do that at the same time several countries you can you can then it's, it's like a prisoner's dilemma if, mm. if 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 both countries trying to increase the value of their currency compared to the other country you will just end up with higher interest rates and the same currency levels. So it becomes a sort of stalemate. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And can I, just on the same theme, is, is a lot of people nowadays are blaming Stefan Ingves for the current situation. They're saying, well, if he hadn't been so expansionary when there was an economic boon, there would be more leeway to um, have lower interest rates now. People have been grumbling about that within the government over his tenure. I mean, is that the case? Has there been frustration within, within the Social Democrats that he wasn't being more restrictive? No, I don't say. I think it, it, there's a general frustration with Stefan Ingves within the 
the Social Democratic Party. I think that I think you're right that the the, the it's clear that the problems of the very low interest rates have been you know it, it becomes more and more obvious uh, at the moment. But I think that that is partly a problem of the independent central bank. Economic governance structure is really set out uh, with the idea that the central bank can control inflation via the interest rates. And, you know, there's pretty much evidence that maybe it's not the best or only channel to control the activity level of the economy via interest rates. For instance, now we see that they try to boost the, the level of the, uh, the economic activity level over these years via super low interest rates and, and, and the side effects of this is, is very obvious at the moment. So that is one thing. I think the current problems also is due to our new governor. <laughs> He's been he's been in place for about a month or something. Yeah, yeah. Eric Tadian. No, but nobody. He, he, this last increase of of uh, half a percent is was, as from our perspective, totally unnecessary. And Eric Tadian should take a chill pill and uh, <laughs> uh, and not be so eager to show off on his new job. <laughs> <laughs> I think d- didn't you get some agreement on that from the Confederation of Swedish Enterprise yeah. as well? They 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 actually agreed with you. You were pretty much on the same page. Yeah, we are. This, the Riksbank have this idea that you know the real what they're really afraid of or should be really afraid of is inflationary expectations working themselves into the wage formation because you can't have continuous high inflation without wages driving it because companies can't continue to increase prices. Because no one can buy the stuff if they don't pay them more. So the only way you can produce a continuous high inflation level is via the wage formation. And I think that the Riksbank somehow argues that or thinks that they can, you know, they they uh, they, they want to really, you know, hurt the economy in order for labor to be more afraid of the situation or their labor market outcomes of too high mm. wage results increases. But the effect is also the opposite, kind of, because, you know, the, the higher the interest rate, the more our members are hurt and the need the wage increases. So it's, it's not clear that that is the way the, the wage formation is working, actually. That's all for this week. Before we go, I want to also mention that our teams in Germany and France are doing podcasts and they are brilliant. I listen to them every week. In fact, I'm contractually obliged to do so. It's part of my job. But I've lived in both countries, so I'm genuinely interested. And I have to say I learn loads from our colleagues in both of those places. The podcasts are called Talking France and Germany in Focus. And you can find them in all podcast apps. Thank you for listening and thank you to our guest, Peter Gerlach, for joining us. And we'll release a bonus episode on Tuesday featuring more from this conversation. Our panelists today were Emma Lovegreen, Richard Orange and James Savage. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next Saturday with a brand new episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. 
Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage. <laughs>